Always think about giving before you get, or always seek first to understand, then to be understood. I think those are always just really important things, good things to live by, and good things will come. You'll be smarter for it. You'll learn more about, you'll have what I call like an intelligent empathy. Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Dion Nicholas, who is the CEO of Forethought. Dion, welcome to the show. Nick, thank you so much for having me. Awesome to have you. Well, yeah, so for those listeners that don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to start Forethought. Absolutely. So hi, everyone. I'm Dion Nicholas, CEO and co-founder of Forethought. We are the generative AI platform for customer support automation. A little bit of background on myself. I was born and raised in Toronto in Canada. I'm actually Canadian, eh? And I've always been interested and fascinated with technology, learned to code. And so in a former life, I was an engineer. And I've been fascinated particularly with how can technology help people get their most important questions answered. It started for me at a young age thinking about how can AI, how can technology help with education and help me study in school to my first ever job in customer service. I was actually stocking shelves and answering customer calls at Shoppers Drug Mart, which is like the Canadian CVS, and thinking about how can technology help me or my customers get our questions answered. And so I've always been fascinated with tech that can answer questions. Eventually became an engineer, built products and infrastructure, companies like Facebook, Palantir, Dropbox, and Pure Storage before really, really diving all in on AI. I guess generative AI is what they're calling it these days. But yeah, started Forethought in 2018. We launched and we've been building the business ever since. So it's not a small move to go from being an engineer and doing as many roles <laughs> as you have to go to founding a company. That is a big leap, a whole lot different. So what was the impetus for you to go, I'm going to step out of the day-to-day -day code and actually start something up? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. So I've always been what I would call myself as a builder. And it's not just for the sake of writing code. It's always been for the sake of seeing a problem and then asking myself, how can I go and solve that problem? So even, you know, whether I was in school or whether I was an engineer, my kind of nights and weekends would always be thinking and tinkering and building things. And so I'd always be thinking about these things. And as I mentioned, I had been fascinated with AI and fascinated with the question of what can AI do to help people get questions answered. And so the impetus was that I was spending a lot of times actually with folks in customer service. So I was an engineer at Pure Storage most recently and realized that a lot of the information problems that I had as a customer service agent or back when I was younger also applied to subscription and SaaS and products as well. And so I started to ask myself the question, well, can AI help here? Not just, you know, in kind of the retail e-tail world, but in the subscription world. And so originally it was just this initial idea. I started thinking about it and in and around, I would say late 2017, I also saw that a lot of these new models in AI, in particular natural language processing, were starting to rapidly get developed. And we're now, you know, there's a lot of things like BERT and GPT-3 out now and ChatGPT that we're talking about. But I actually think a lot of the baseline models that really started to take off were in around 2017. And so it was kind of this right place, right time <laughs> thing. I was really mm -hmm. starting to think deeply about these AI and NLP problems and also starting to see the research really start to accelerate. 
And I basically asked myself this question like, Dion, you see yourself as a problem solver. Why don't you go solve the problem for real? Why don't you go all in as opposed to just thinking about it as kind of a toy thing? And so eventually got more and more conviction around this idea that became forethought, started talking to my friends and anyone who was in entrepreneurship and just kind of getting a little bit more confidence around, hey, is like, what does it take to start a business? Until a eventually- product market uh, fit here? Yeah, exactly. Is there a product yeah. <laughs> market fit here? What would it take to raise funding? Things like that. And so eventually got myself over the imposter syndrome and took the leap and started forethought. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about the journey so far. I mean, so four or five years since you guys started the company and launched in 2018, what's that journey been like for you guys? How have you been uh, growing and scaling over that time period? Absolutely. So in the beginning, it was kind of three folks in a garage type thing. Well, <laughs> not the garage, actually the San Mateo Public Library, but that's another story. And we launched in 2018. It was super fortunate that we launched at TechCrunch Disrupt, which is probably the largest pitch competition on the planet. So they have the battlefield. And we were fortunate enough to win that competition, actually, awesome. which was super cool. It was a lot of fun, like yeah. building the pitch, telling the story and telling this future vision of how AI can transform the customer service experience first and foremost. But in general, when you think of any subscription or workflow business, how can AI apply there? And that was kind of that future vision pitch. And so we had this crazy launch and then realized, oh, crap, what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> And so that was, I think, when I would say like the real work began, we started spending as much time as humanly possible with our customers who were directors and leaders of customer service, customer care industries in, mm -hmm. you know, SaaS and FinTech and others and spending time putting customers first, building the product from not just from being a model and an idea, like in terms of a AI model, but in terms of a, being a real product. So we launched our first product at the time, which was our agent assist tool. So it was an AI that could help agents get access to answers more quickly. And then over time, we grew the business, grew the business. And now we serve, you know, 100 plus different high growth companies. And we actually have four products out from the entire stack of customer service from automatically responding to customers. So think chatbots, but smarter all the way through to routing, triaging to the right agent, and then assisting those agents and ultimately adding insights on top. So it's been an interesting journey growing from where we were to kind of where we are today. And I think it's still very early days, quite frankly, but it's amazing now that we get to serve. I think that the number is over 30 million human touch points a year in terms of customer service inquiries now across companies like Marriott and others can kind of see the powered by forethought out in the wild now. And it's kind of cool to see that grow over that time. Yeah. We'll talk about, well, you were a little bit there, but how you've added more products on like, what is this solving for in these contact centers, right? Obviously, it's making the agents more effective. Is it in some cases replacing them? That's a great question. And so we like to think about it as efficiency. Well, two things. One, efficiency across the entire stack. And I'll explain what I mean by the stack, so to speak. And then the second is empowerment on the experience, right? So efficiency and experience. On the efficiency side, we actually think about it by dissecting a customer service inquiry. So when you are a customer and you follow that journey, the first thing that happens is you actually want your problem to be solved in a self-service fashion. You are searching on the website or looking up resources, or you're interacting with an AI agent or something like that on the website, and you want your question answered immediately. Now, And that's the first step. If that can't happen, right? Or if you have a complicated issue, or if, heck, you're already frustrated because you've been dealing with a ton of back and forth, then the next thing that you want is, okay, like I get it, I'm not gonna get a quick resolution from some website or some content here, 
What I want is I need to go to the right agent in the right channel at the right time. And then I really hope that that agent is knowledgeable about me, my issue, maybe the past issues I've had or other issues that are similar. And then ultimately I'll work with that agent to solve the problem. And then the last thing that you want is for the problem to never happen again. And so then that means giving insights back to the support team to say, hey, did you know 30, 40% of your issues are actually password reset as an issue? What can you go do? Here's maybe a piece of content or here is something that you should update in your product in order to make this problem sure. go. And so when you think about that journey and the loop being tied back, each of those checkpoints along the customer service journey, we think of in our mind as problems to solve and products to build. And so each of our products actually work alongside that. So we have our solve product that is an AI agent that can automatically respond, followed by triage. Again, that's the, the AI that can route to the right agent, right channel based on skills and things like that. Agent Assist, which was our flagship product. And then ultimately, which we launched last September, Discover, which generates insights, knowledge gap detection, things like that to help you tie the loop back together and not have to have these issues in the future. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So what has been the net result of this? Like what sort of efficiency savings, cost savings are some of your customers seeing? Absolutely. We actually just incidentally published a case study this morning, or I don't know when the podcast will be out, but we published a case study on, on from Q4, for example, which is a market intelligence platform. And we actually reduced their time to resolution on issues by 98%. So that's just a stat that's top of mind because I was just reading it yeah. this morning, right? But so, and again, it's twofold. It's the efficiency and it's the experience. And that's an experience metric because that means customers are getting their issues resolved 98% faster. And that's again, yeah. across the stack. It doesn't necessarily mean every agent is 98% faster. Yeah. But it may mean that some of the most simple issues are being resolved. In our case, 30 to 40%. I think our average is actually 40 plus percent of issues are actually being automatically resolved by our platform right. on the solve side, mm -hmm. which then empowers the agents to work on those more complex problems, the stuff that requires human judgment, human empathy. And then again, we're helping folks there. So efficiency metrics like reduction in volume by 40 plus percent, experience metrics like reduction in time to resolution by 98%. And the numbers go on. So we like to be very ROI focused. I think that may be coming from my engineer background, so to speak. But we like to focus on what is the true ROI that we can deliver for our customers and their customers ultimately. Yeah. Well, in terms of like an implementation, when you're working with a new client, this is AI, right? So it's only as good as what it's able to learn and learn from. What typically see over time? Is this a, hey, you're going to get 50% of the way there on day one with what we'll be able to do. And then over time, you can expect this to ramp up. I mean, what can you expect out of these models? That's a great question. So we actually do a pretty good job from day one. The first part of any implementation we actually do is we index and integrate into the systems. So we made a very conscious decision early on. We're not going to try to replace a CRM or the help desk or anything like that. We actually partner really well with folks like Zendesk, Salesforce Service Cloud, Freshdesk, ServiceNow, et cetera in order to basically bring the intelligence to the customer. So the first thing we do through our integrations is, or the app store of your respective kind of help center is you install us and we kick off what we call indexing and training, right? So data, we're looking at past conversations, things like that in order for the model to, so to speak, train itself, right? And that's yeah. actually, I would note, one of the big differentiators between us and classical chatbots. Whereas with classical chatbots, which we've all interacted with, we've all know about, mm -hmm. The first thing that you get is this blank canvas where you as a support leader have to go in and 
create these rules and keywords mm-hmm. and decision trees. With Forethought, you almost get the bot that builds itself, so to speak. And the first thing that we do is we integrate and start making suggestions on your data. Hey, here are your top 400 plus issues in some cases. And here's how you can automate them. Here's the data in terms of time to resolution across this issue versus that issue. And then, okay, here's how you can start building that workflow out. So that's actually the first step. Usually many of our customers can get up and running themselves in a matter of days. Oftentimes we will also provide our customer experience team and work with them over the course of a few weeks to get it set up and running. But then that's it. You deploy and you're ready to go. And it depends on which product, of course, whether it's Solve or Triage or Discover, et cetera. But that's Mm -hmm. really the, the interface. And then once it's trained, ready to go, you've configured, then you just deploy. So Solve is a widget, a JavaScript widget on your website. Assist is a Chrome extension and so mm-hmm. on. Once it's up and running, it's really powerful because we're leveraging that existing data from your customers. You usually have 50,000, 100,000 past conversations, and that makes a very, very strong data set to begin with. And then it continues yeah. to learn over time through retraining and stuff like that. Yeah, gotcha. Interesting. Well, of course, AI, generative AI, as you call it, is a extremely hot topic right now. I mean, feels like everybody in technology is talking about chat GPT and kind of what the use cases are there. I think people are just now starting to think about it. But I think what's most interesting about that is the fact that it is a big conversation and so many people are talking about it. What do you think that means for your business now that this is a conversation that's on everybody's mind? It's exciting. It's a lot of fun. I mean, there's pros, there's cons, but in general, I think it's probably the single most interesting time in history to be in AI. And not even just to be in AI, but like, I think ChatGPT got over 100 million users or something like that. And that's not just AI practitioners. That's our friends and family. My mom is on ChatGPT. It's so cool what they're able to do. And so for us, again, it's exciting because we've always kind of been preaching this AI first approach, right? Since day one, we didn't come at this business thinking, let's build a clunky chatbot or things like that. We came at this business again because we were fascinated with the potential of true AI that can read, understand what we called natural language processing to natural language understanding to natural language generation in terms of being able to produce responses. And so it's so fascinating to see the industry is now like, oh my gosh, this is what is possible through AI. Just this morning, actually, I was talking to a potential customer and they were like, Hey, have you seen ChatGPT? Like if your AI can't do what ChatGPT does, then we're not even talking. I was like, this is it. The expectations of customers has gone up, right? And so that means the entire industry is rising. So I'm super excited about that. We've been leveraging LLMs, large language models, and some of the open AI stuff, some of our own kind of proprietary models internally, probably for the last, call it year and a half, two years. I like to think, and I actually am fairly certain we were the first generative AI, uh, first customer support platform to leverage generative AI. And so it's pretty exciting. And I think it's going to change the game with ChatGPT, right? Like practitioners, the whole experience is going to level up. And the big question on everyone's mind is how can you have a ChatGPT or ChatGPT-like experience for my customer support, right? And that's the big conversation and, and the place where we like to help our customers get that kind of experience in their customer support org. I'm curious, do you think they're looking for something that's going to really solve their customers' problems from a emulate what a human would do and say, like to feel like they really are talking to somebody? Or do you think they want something where it really just solves the problem and now customers 
not only anticipate that it might be a machine on the other side, but maybe some even want that? That is, I would say, the million-dollar question. So I would argue in many ways, it is actually the latter, but there's some nuance there because the customer in many ways does not care unless their problem is solved. They got locked out of their account. They need help. Their payment didn't go through. They need help, right? And Mm -hmm. the most important thing is you solve the customer's problem. I like to say we are not, you know, a service provider, a vendor. We're in the problem solving business. We solve problems for our customers. And that's the goal of customer service and of customer support. But that being said, I think the bar on the experience has risen, right? People don't want a bot that says, I'll use a classical example here. If you take a classical chatbot and you need to build a refund workflow, so to speak, you got to hard code all the different ways you can say the word refund. And if I see word refund, go and issue a refund. Last time I spoke to a vendor or whatever and interacted with their chatbot and said, hey, your product sucks. I just want my money back. I didn't say the magic keyword refund. And you know what it responds? (laughs) Sorry, please rephrase your question. I didn't get that. And so ultimately your goal is to solve the problem. But I think the bar on the user experience is rising. And if you don't have a great user experience or a great customer experience, then it actually just makes it that much harder to solve the problem. And so I think that's where ChatGPT and things like that come in. It's very, very obvious now. We all can go online and jump into the OpenAI playground and see that even an AI with not that much information or context about my business can at least give a human-friendly, plausible-sounding answer. It could be completely wrong. We know sometimes ChatGPT mm-hmm. is completely wrong. Like ask it, yeah, why is one plus one equals three? And it will be like, yes, well, you see, because when you add things together, blah, 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 therefore one plus one equals three, it'll like be completely wrong, but you'll be like, thanks, ChatGPT. And for so, trying. Yeah, thank you for trying. But at least it creates this more human element. And I don't think we have to impersonate humans. I don't think we have to pretend that it's a human. I could even yeah. see, and we're talking about this internally, yeah. You know, a little widget that says, or a little uh, subtitle that says, hey, this is an AI-generated answer. That's totally fine. But you do want something that is a little bit more personal. Yeah, that's very interesting how the general public is going to perceive those types of responses, whether or not they even know that it's being generated by AI or not. I completely agree. They just want their problem solved. And any given human is going to articulate their problem in a different way, even if it's the exact same problem, right? You just ultimately want something that can understand that, oh, this is a, I'm pissed off, I just want a refund versus something else. And how you get there, actually, most people really don't care. Exactly. It's kind of that 80-20 rule. 80% of it is just solve my problem. The other 20% is do it in a human way. And all of the above, you know, leads to the problem, but, or it leads to the solution. But the one thing I will say, though, in terms of kind of a limitation of this, what we're seeing around ChatGPT and and a lot of these general LLMs is that hallucination problem, so to speak, or the fact that it will give a very clever but wrong answer, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, let's say again, we're using the refund problem and you're trying to build a system now, instead of using a clunky chatbot, you're using something more like a ChatGPT and you're trying to build a system that can respond to refund questions. Well, ChatGPT or one of those LLM products will say something. It'll say, oh, I'm sorry about your issue. Like, I hope, you know, you're okay. Please contact support. It's like, wait, what? You just, anyway. But the thing is, it doesn't have context, right? And I think that's the biggest missing thing to apply ChatGPT or LLM models to customer support because you can take a retailer or something like that or a subscription business and there's policies, there's logic. If you purchase within the last 30 days, you can get a refund. 
mm -hmm. you haven't, then you can. If you're a premium customer, blah, blah, blah. And so there's actually all of this logic, all these rules. And again, all of these things that are based specifically on your business that you would need a, probably a team of builders of engineers to go and encode all of that in order to get something like ChatGPT to work specifically. If you were just take it, plug it out of the box and apply it to customer service. So at Forethought, what we like to think about is, okay, how do we handle all of that complexity? Build you a product, right? Across all of these different use cases, the solve triage assist discover that can give you the ChatGPT for that human experience or the LLM, whether it's you know ChatGPT specifically or any other large language model that one might develop proprietarily, give you that experience for the customer experience, but then solve the hallucination problem by still being homegrown, built for your business. And that's how you can go beyond really nice kind of widgets or demos of customer support and actually be able to scale and surface and solve millions and tens of millions or hundreds of millions of cases through generative AI. Yeah. That's a really good point there. I mean, talk a little bit about how you guys solve for this on a customer or a client by client basis, because to your point, they're going to have their own business rules. You know, no matter how much a customer complains, I don't want to tell it to going to give them a refund when I need to go do whatever. How do you keep it from going awry? Exactly. And that's where I would say the bulk of kind of the quote unquote clever IP, right? When it goes is that you still need to build, like there's some things that are actually good about the classical systems. Some things that are good are one that they can integrate and actually perform actions, right? You still need to integrate into the system, right? Into their Zenness or Salesforce Service Cloud. You still need to potentially integrate into their, you know, Shopify or their backend, right? So there's a whole bunch of integrations that are, I wouldn't even call an AI problem, but I would call this just a large engineering problem. So you right. go and you solve for that. So I think that's one. So you still build a system that can leverage a lot of the classical mechanisms while simultaneously leveraging the generative part for the language. So that's one. Two, you can actually get really clever around using generative AI on the back end to figure out the workflow. And so what I mean by that is not just using, you know, ChatGPT or something like that to just respond to a question. But a lot of people don't know this, but LLM or ChatGPT type models can also generate code if you mm -hmm. think about it. And so in many ways, a decision tree that is, if they do this, issue refund or don't issue, blah, blah, blah. In many ways, that's actually a representation of code. So is there some way you can leverage existing data or, for example, agent usage to know that, hey, when a refund ticket comes in, the agent tends to ask this question first, and then they tend to hit this back end second. Well, in theory, if you know that information, then you can actually start to use that and use usage data of something like that, say a Chrome extension, blah, 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 in order to generate or suggest what the next action for that agent might be, or even generate or suggest what the workflow might be for the bot itself. So it starts to create its own scripts. Which starts to create its own scripts. So all of this is a flywheel and a loop, and that's where the real power and scale comes from by having a true generative AI platform across the stack, so to speak. It's not just about that 20% last mile of, hey, it sounds kind of nice. It's about leveraging this transformational technology across the entire stack in order to build a truly amazing system. Interesting. Well, let's turn for a second to the business side of building up this business that you guys have been over the last number of years. I mean, you yourselves are a subscription business. It probably makes sense because you are providing an ongoing platform for your customers to use. But just talk to us about why was that the right model for you? And has it presented any challenges or 
are you considering other models? Yeah, no, I think the future is subscription. I really do believe that. Interestingly enough, I'm, we're going to be leaning even more into that, which I'll talk about in a sec. But we saw a lot of shifts in the last couple of decades from kind of these on-site models where you would just deploy something and be done with it to really the cloud, I think, brought a lot of that, but to subscription businesses as a whole, right? So what's interesting, both for us as a vendor, but also for our customers, is that you now don't just have to sell the customer, but you have to truly deliver an experience that they're going to want to come back to, that they're going to want to share about, and so on and so forth which ironically makes retention, which makes customer experience, which makes customer success that much more important, which is exactly the problem that we try and help our mm -hmm. customers solve for, which is ironic. But yeah, we're also a subscription business. So we're kind of building the mechanics of this kind of business ourselves. One of the things that we've starting to lean in a little bit more on and experiment a little bit more on is subscription pricing. One of the relics of kind of the olden days and how we, you know, a lot of times we sell as, as a SaaS business is you have your pricing guide and you go in and you give people annual upfront pricing and so on and so forth. And then it's kind of a subscription. It's still annual or whatever you want to call it. But the thing that was clunky or is clunky about that model is in 2022, 2023, especially in kind of a recessionary market, the CFO is becoming a lot more important in a sales process. And the ability to show ROI upfront is becoming a lot more important in the sales process. And we're pretty ROI driven here. So our case studies and everything can kind of speak for themselves. But we're learning that a lot of businesses are asking, hey, is there any way to take a bite-sized chunk? Or, you know, you take that to the limit, so to speak. And is there any way to do consumption or volume-based mm -hmm. pricing? So the more that you serve me, the more that tickets you resolve or that you triage or you assist or you discover, the more we pay plus or minus, you know, any kind of bulk things because bigger companies still need that. But I think the world is going that way into more of consumption-based model. And we're, we're thinking a lot about this here at Forethought. But anyway, mostly a thought experiment for now. But I do think that this is the kind of thing that's going to change even more in our world. Yeah, interesting. That's very interesting that you're even considering that because we've been hearing about it more ourselves. Would you see this as a wholesale conversion to consumption, meaning you're only going to bill for what they use? Or do you see a model where it's, yeah, okay, the monthly price is lower, but here's some tiers for using a thousand interactions, 10,000, a million, whatever. Yeah, I think in the end, again, taking any model, we're overloading the word model here, but taking any model out of the box and just applying it in a certain way is probably rarely the right approach, right? And so if we just went and said, hey, everything is consumption, you pay us a dollar every time we help you, like for everyone, I don't think that would work, especially for the larger enterprises, right? Because they want consistency in their business. They want to be able to forecast. And so oftentimes those are the customers that are actually looking for long-term consistent pricing, same thing every year, we'll buy bulk or whatever it is. But you start to skew a little more to that first 90-day experience, the buying experience or the selling experience of like, mm -hmm. okay, well, can my first product, can I start a pilot that is um, a little bit yep. more consumption-based or and so I do think tiers or something like that end up being the happy medium for most businesses will probably not be much different, I would say. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest benefits of fixed rate subscription is the predictable cash flow, right? You know that you're getting 10,000 from this customer and 50,000 from that or whatever, whatever that is. So you're able to run your business knowing what's or having reasonable assurance that that's what's going to be there next month. If you move entirely to a consumption model, you're kind of 
turning that back to the retail model, which is, I hope they're coming back next month and using it, but I don't really know. And they don't really own me if they don't. Yeah. So there's certainly trade-offs there. What other would you say growing pains, lessons learned, things like that, as you guys have continued to grow, have you run into that, you know, I think are good to pass along to others as they're growing up their subscription business, anything you'd want to share there? Yeah, no, great question. The first, of course, is always just spending more time with your customers, not less, especially if you're kind of the business owner, so to speak, or whatever. As your business gets bigger, there's more and more layers, there's more and more functions in the company. And the natural tendency of a business is actually to skew you away from kind of the customer facing activities, so to speak. And so spend time with the existing customer, even if it's just, hey, love to grab coffee. There's no escalation. There's nothing going wrong. Love to hear how you're doing. Yeah, like, let me start this with nothing's wrong. There is nothing's nothing, wrong. Like, I just want to yeah, talk. Yeah, <laughs> because you do get pulled in. Like I do get pulled in if there's a escalation or there's a customer issue like, okay, yeah. or if we're on the sales side, executive alignment, like we're trying to sell to another executive, let's bring in the CEO. But I actually spend a ton of time just getting to know our customers as people. Like, let's grab coffee. What's top of mind for you? Whether it's about forethought or not, like what are your top three priorities today? And you're actually going to learn so much about what's on their mind so that as you're building your business, you get to bias for that. And then more often than not, you actually learn how you can adjust your product or your service to better serve whatever the thing is that's most important for them. And so I think that's probably one big learning that I would take away. Yeah, that is awesome advice right there. I mean, I think a lot of people tend to think, I want to extract the information that I care about. And you'll get there, right? But you don't get there without establishing that trust between two people first, right? That like, hey, I care about your success here, not just my own, but you know, yours together. But more often than not, what ends up coming out of those conversations is actually some information that'll help you with your product or enhancing the relationship with the customer, right? Exactly. Like the best way to build great relationships, actually, one of my investors once said, when you go into a room or you, when you meet somebody, kind of go in with your hand like this, as if you want to give something rather than asking for a handout like this, yeah. right? And so always think about giving before you get, or always seek first to understand, then to be understood. I think those are always just really important things, good things to live by, and good things will come. You'll be smarter for it. You'll learn more about, you'll have what I call like an intelligent empathy. You'll know exactly what problems people are care about and whether you can help them. If, if it has something to do with your business, great. If it doesn't, like if you can, for example, a lot of times our customers now who are support leaders, they'll be asking, hey, does anybody know great support agents or whatever? And we've now built up a network that every once in a while, I can refer one to another company or whatever, somebody's looking, and that just makes everybody's lives better. And so things like that, literally nothing to do with our business, but we are kind of in that ecosystem enough that we can provide value. And it's like, hey, let's do that. Yeah. And if you really think about the value and where you guys are plugging into these businesses, it's between their interactions with their customers. There's hardly a more important aspect of their business than how they're <laughs> interacting with their customers and how their customers feel about their products, good and bad, right? And you guys are right in the middle of helping them harness and interpret that information. Absolutely. And that's the bread and butter of any business, but I would say specifically subscription-based businesses, because again, your customers are your lifeblood. And again, we should be thinking about that as well as we're building businesses, but yeah, certainly yeah. for our customers, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Certainly good advice there. Well, Dion, this has been a very fun, very fascinating conversation. If anybody listening today has some questions, wants to learn more, or it's the best place to go. 
Absolutely. So you can find us at www.forethought.ai. And if you're interested in learning more about how generative AI can help transform your customer support, go and request a demo. In addition to that, you can find me anywhere. So I'm on LinkedIn at Dion Nicholas, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, all of the above at Doji Dion, D-O-J-I-D-E-O-N. And I'm always happy to chat about the customer experience, always happy to chat about thinking about transformational technology and how that can apply. And so anyone at Forethought or myself can absolutely be helpful there. I'm sure there are no shortage of those conversations going on across all of those platforms right now as it relates to AI and what the possibilities are and how this can be extended. So yeah, definitely worth plugging into for sure. Well, Dion, thanks again so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Best of luck to you guys. Ditto, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. Talk soon. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.